And we're turning to the book of Luke, and just to reverence the reading of the word of the Lord this Sunday morning, and I turn to Luke 24, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them, the they that it refers to are the three Marys. And these three Marys, um, one of them is actually in the scripture also called Salome, but she was Mary Salome or Salome Mary, depending on how, where they put the name. It's the same person. And they were, are referred to as the three Marys. They brought other women. They came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Somebody shout amen. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And these were actually angels. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, notice the question, why do you seek the living among the dead? The ladies had gone. They did not find the body of Jesus. In fact, the stone that they were concerned about, who will roll the stone away for us? It had already been rolled away. And two angels are there, and their question is, why are you here? Why are you seeking the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified in the third day, rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb, the scripture says, and they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. I want to speak this morning from this subject, looking for the right thing in the wrong place. Looking for the right thing, but in the wrong place. Father, I thank you today for this day. I thank you for the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, the Son of God, on Friday. We thank you that today, Resurrection Sunday, Jesus came out of the tomb. Our hearts are overwhelmed, first of all, because of what Christ has done for us. And then because of the import and the meaning of what transpired that Sunday morning 2,000 years ago, the doors that it opened, the victories that it accomplished, the defeats that were, that were achieved, the enemies that were vanquished, Lord. All of the things that have been done for us because of the resurrection, we give you praise for them. And we ask that your word would right now speak to our hearts. Let your word touch us today in that special way that it has of being able to change us from the inside out with all of its potential and capabilities. Let it work on us. Let it challenge us. Let it inspire us here at Inspire Church. We ask and we love you so much. And everybody shouted in Jesus' name. Shout it out loud in God bless you and you may be seated. Looking for the right thing in the wrong place. Today is Easter and as has already been called to your attention and you're fully aware of, this is the day that our Lord rose from the dead. Now death is a part of life in this fallen world. 
We're all acquainted with it. I'm a Cajun. Jerry, my wife, is a Cajun. As you've often heard me say, if you're visiting, you don't know this, my granddad was Clarence Pate and Falk. <laughs> he was a world champion duck and goose caller. I'm not making that up. So we are Cajun to the core, which means we have a little bit of everything in us. And um, we like to, Cajuns like to laugh at themselves. And so I like to tell Cajun jokes. I get to do that since that's my culture. Okay. And there were three Cajuns, Boudreaux, Thibodeau, and Arsenault. And they were at work when suddenly Arsenault had a heart attack and died. And Thibodeau said to Boudreaux, I know where Arsenault lived, but I wasn't personally acquainted with his family. I understand that they was very close. This is going to kill his wife. How are we going to break the news? And Boudreaux told Thibodeau, Tib, don't you worry. I'm plumb full of tact and I know just what to say. So Boudreaux and Thibodeau went to Arsenault's house and rang the doorbell. And Thibodeau turned to Boudreaux and said, Boot, you be sure to break it to her gently. She don't know yet. She don't know what happened. And Boudreaux said, Shy, I done learned how to be a diplomat. I'll be very smooth and gentle. And when the deceased white man's wife answered the door, Boudreaux said, Hello, are you the widow, Arsenault? <laughs> Death is a common part of life. As many people die as there are that are born. On Good Friday, in awe of what Christ did, we remember his sacrificial death on the cross. And while death is common, rising again is not. But on Easter, on Easter, what we celebrate is the single most important event in the history of all of mankind. In fact, the central message of the Bible can be summed up in the one word that brings us here together this morning, and that word is resurrection. It is the resurrection of Jesus that gives us meaning and purpose to everything else that we read about in the Bible. Without what happened 2,000 years ago, nothing else in the Bible would have any lasting significance or meaning to us at all. The Bible would be, frankly, nothing but a good book of life principles. The virgin birth, as important as that is, would be nothing but a strange and mysterious phenomenon, a footnote in history. And Jesus' sinless life, that would merely be an amazing achievement. And the crucifixion of Christ would have been just another barbaric act and miscarriage of justice by the Romans. That's without the resurrection. But because he rose again, every single one of those events now have meaning to us. It is the core message and theme of the Bible. Jesus is alive. And when you think about it, what makes the crucifixion of Jesus so special? Really, that's a question worth asking. Because there were many others who were crucified in those days. That was a common means of execution by the Romans. They were a barbarous people. And they crucified criminals and broke their legs while they were on the cross. So they could not chin themselves up to breathe. And they died of suffocation as well as shock and loss of blood. There were actually a number of crucifixions that occurred in that era. Josephus, a Jewish historian, later wrote there were so many crosses around Jerusalem when the Romans invaded in AD 70. 
that they lit- there were literally no more trees left to chop down to make into crosses. So crucifixion was not unusual. There were others in the Bible who died and were resurrected too. So even resurrection itself is not so unique that it hasn't occurred before. I can think of, I think it is nine of them. I think of the Shunammite woman's son. There was the prophet Elijah, the deceased man. They later hurriedly put in his tomb, Jairus' daughter, the widow's son, and of course, Lazarus. And then there was Dorcas and the boy who went to sleep and fell out of a window while Paul preached a really long sermon. And I promise not to let that happen here this morning. Amen. And even the apostle Paul, who was raised from the dead after being stoned for preaching Christ. No, not because he preached a long sermon, but because he preached Christ. At least nine people in scripture were resurrected. So you, not only was crucifixion common, but resurrection was not in itself such an anomaly that it had not been heard of. Then you ask, well, why? Why, what makes the crucifixion of Christ and his resurrection so special? The others I mentioned died and were resurrected too. Why all the fuss about Christ rising from the dead? I'm glad you asked. Because now I can tell you, he did what they did not do. The Lamb of God came and entered and conquered death in death's very own house. Spoiled his goods and came up out of the grave. He got up on resurrection morning and had the keys of death, hell, and the grave in his head. Somebody give him some praise in this house right now. Let's take a praise break. He deserves our worship. That's why we get all dressed up and come to church on Easter Sunday morning to worship him. On resurrection morning, the three Marys had gone to anoint Jesus' body after death when suddenly these two angels appeared and asked them a question. And the question the angels ask is the question that I'd like to ask you. I'd like to ask every one of us the same question today. It's found in Luke 24, verse 5. Why do you seek the living among the dead? This question is actually one of life's greatest paradoxes. Why do people look for life in dead places? But it happens every day. I'm talking to people here that it's happening to. You see, the question, and so far as it was asked by the angels, was not a question that was, was out of character for the environment or the place they were in. Because they were actually where there were other dead people that had been buried. Yes, Joseph of Arimathea had loaned Jesus his tomb for three days. Now Jesus isn't there. But what the angel is saying is there's still some dead people here. The only, only way this question could make sense. Why are you seeking the living among these that are dead? It was probably the family tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And not just his own tomb. Because... As it is today, families like to be buried close to one another wait and wait for resurrection morning. In Bible times, they would even carry deceased bodies a long way to bury them with relatives. You may remember that Joseph made his family promise that when you get out of Egypt, carry my bones with you. Because I want to be buried next to my grandfather Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so... 
400 years later, whenever Israel came out of Egypt to move to the promised land, they carried the bones of Joseph and carried them for 40 years in the wilderness until they crossed over into the promised land and buried them in the family plot within the promised land. When the angel asked those ladies that question, it's a question that applies and that every one of us should ask ourselves, why are we looking for life in things that are dead? Why are we looking for life in places where there is none? You see, some people in this building are looking for life in dead relationships. Some are looking for life in clubs and bars. Can I get plain this morning? It isn't working. Some are looking for life in illicit sexual relationships. You're not finding what you're wanting because you can search all you want. But there's no life in that graveyard. You're looking for the right thing. But you're looking in the wrong place. You're looking in the wrong place. Some people are searching for life in money or in business or in success and fame and recognition because they're trying to fill up an emptiness on the inside that nothing but he can feel. One writer called it the emptiness that cries louder than the howling wind. If you've ever been in the north part of this country, up in the Midwest, maybe near Minnesota, in the middle of the winter, Chicago, someplace far north, and that wind comes whistling across Lake Michigan, and there's nothing but farmlands all around, and you can be huddled in your home and the fire going in the fireplace, but you hear the shrieking, the, the whistle of that wind as it blows around your house. There's something on the inside of every person that's like that. You can stuff whatever you want to in it, but you're not going to find life among things that are dead. It's not out there. Well, somebody bless his name right now. Somebody give him some praise. You're not. I'm talking to some of you that are old enough. You ought to be looking inside right now. You're getting to that point in life when you're beginning to question, what have you done with your life? What have you spent it on? Is it worthwhile? Others try to find life in religion. Yeah, that's dead too. I'm a Methodist, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Pentecostal. There's no life in any of that mess. It's just tombs where things that used to have life are now buried. Come out of that. Come out of that. You're not going to find life in that graveyard. And the angel said, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? You're looking for the right thing. You're just in the wrong place. Why do you seek the living among the dead? For your life to really be successful and for you to make the difference you want to make with your life, you need to first of all resolve the answer to this question. The question is, what are you really searching for? Because believe it or not, most people don't know. John 20, 15 tells us that Mary Magdalene remained after the tomb while the other ladies went back to inform the disciples and Peter that Jesus was not in the grave. And she was extraordinarily upset. She was broken. She was weeping because she thought somebody had stolen the body of Jesus. And then Christ appeared to her in the disguised form of a gardener and asked her whom it was that she was seeking. And this is really important because until you identify what it is you're looking for, you're on an endless search 
that will keep you going from grave to grave to grave, from clubs to bars to money to business, from this to that, and friends and relationships, and it doesn't work. Amen. You see, what you're looking for is not really a thing or things. It isn't success. It isn't money. It isn't possessions. It's a person. And that's why Jesus came and asked her, Whom, Mary, whom do you seek? You're not looking for a what. You're looking for a whom. You're looking for a person. You can't waste your time on things or people who won't help you get what it is that you need out of life. You need to stop going to dead places to try to find the life that you're searching for. Things are not going to satisfy that need in your soul or make a difference in your marriage. Do you hear me? Somebody in this building that's got a troubled marriage right now wants you to know you're not going to find help for your marriage if you keep going in the direction you're going in right now. You're looking for a whom. That's who you're looking for. You're looking for a person. You're not looking for... The angel in Matthew 25 and 8 said, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus. It's not just a person, but it's a certain person. You seek Jesus who was crucified. Mark 16 and 6, you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is risen. Somebody shout, He is risen. Would you do that? He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid Him. In other words, the angel was saying, don't waste any more time here. Come, take a look at it. This is all it is. Let's pull the cover back on the whole thing. This is as close as you're going to ever get right here if you stay in this graveyard. You need to get out of this place. You're looking for the right thing. You're just looking for it in the wrong place. You're really looking for Jesus, and he can't be found in the stuff you've been searching for him in. Religion will not get it. Come on, can I have somebody that knows what I'm talking about? Say amen. Money won't get it. Cars won't get it. Fame won't get it. Notoriety won't get it. Relationships won't fill up the need on the inside. They won't. Then the angel said to them, remember. Remember the word that Jesus gave you. Everybody say remember. Would you do that? Remember. One more time. Remember. Luke 24, 6, remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. Luke 24, 8, and they remembered his words. The angel reminded them that Jesus had said that he was going to rise the third day. Now here's, here's the problem. The least they could have done was hang around three days to see. Come on, let, let, let's talk to one another right now. You know, I, I won't be your friend. I'll ask you a question. Why couldn't they hang around three days? You see, that's the problem with many of us. We don't remember what we ought to remember. We have forgotten where God brought us from. Let me talk to some of you. God brought you out of some stuff, but you forgot where he found you. We don't remember how he helped us when there wasn't anybody else to turn to. How he made a way where there was no way. How he opened a door where there wasn't a door. Remember. Remember. You need to remember the word that he spoke to you in your dark hour. Because some of you, life had caved in and collapsed in upon you. It had imploded. 
And in your darkest hour when you felt absent, I'm talking to somebody, I feel it in my spirit right now. In your darkest hour when there wasn't anybody else there, there was a little voice that whispered and said, I'm here. And he's never left, but you've forgotten that. He has a plan for your life. You have a destiny. You're not here by accident. I know you screwed up, but that's okay. Come on, hear what I'm telling you. Remember what he had to say to you. Remember his plan for your life. Life may not have been fair to you, and this is a fallen world, and people will get it wrong. But remember the good things that God has done for you. Remember. Remember. Amen. Luke 24 and 9, it said, Then, then, when? After they remember. Then they return from the tomb. I like that. Because you know what it means? They stop looking in the wrong place. They didn't stop looking. They just stopped looking in the wrong place. Don't you stop your search. Just don't look for it where you've been looking anymore. They stopped looking in the wrong place and went back to meet the other disciples. Can I bring that down to where we live today? You know what it means? They went back to church. That's a word for somebody. Come back to the kingdom of God. Come on and give God some praise in this house. Come back to church. I know it's Easter and you're here, but come back to God. Come back to church. And when they got there, they found the disciples. And in Luke 24, 9, the scripture says they told the disciples all these things. They told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. That's the next thing they did. And that's what you got to do too. They told somebody. Oh, you got to tell somebody. You got to tell somebody what God did for you. You can't keep quiet. You can't shut down. You can't pretend it didn't happen. Jesus said, Jarius, don't you tell anybody. He said, right, my lips are sealed. Jesus walked out the front door. Jarius went out the back telling everybody he could. Because when God's been good to you, you got to tell somebody. Hallelujah. There's one other point that needs to be made. And now, since I have such an unusual and powerful prophetic gift, I prophesy a holy hush is going to descend in the house. The scripture makes it clear it was women who first went to the tomb. My question is, where were the men? I told you to get quiet. I love you guys, but I won't let me, let me get down to where we live right now. It was ladies that were the first at the tomb. Where were the men? What were they doing? Watching the Sunday game? Mowing the lawn, fishing? I don't know what, what they were doing, but they didn't go to the tomb that Sunday morning. The men had lost hope. And this is what you need to know about yourself, sir. Lady, this is what you need to know about the man you're with, too. They thought it was over. And when men lose hope, they quit trying. They quit trying. Men have to have a cause. John Eldridge, in his book, Wild at Heart, says that men need three things in life. They need a battle to fight. 
They need an adventure to live. And they need a damsel to rescue. Yes, they do. By battle to fight, I mean you got to have a cause that you can champion. Something that's bigger than you are. That gives you meaning in your life. And their cause had just died. They had left their fishing boats and nets for this man. And now he's died and hope is gone. They saw him crucified. This was also part of their adventure. Which is the second great thing a man needs. And let me just say this. Oh Lord have mercy. I'm going to get myself in trouble. But ladies don't you be listening to Beyonce's independent woman. Shoes on my feet I bought them. Listen your man needs to know you need him. Don't you be making him feel he's unneeded. He's got he's to find a damsel to rescue. Can somebody shout hallelujah. Oh, yes. I was raised by my grandparents, as, as most of you know. And I've told this, I think, one other time. And they didn't have a car. And they'd call my Uncle Floyd. And he was a big old guy. Uh, he was as strong as a horse. And they would go to the feed store because we were raised on a farm. They'd buy all the goods and everything they needed for two or three weeks and bring those 100-pound sacks of feed. My Uncle Floyd would take one of them and throw them up on his shoulder and carry it to the feed-born and my aunt, she knew how to play him. And she would say, oh, Floyd, you're so strong. Carry that 100-pound sack by yourself. He said, oh, that's nothing. Next time he put one on each shoulder and carried them both. <laughs> Men will kill themselves for you, ladies, if they let them know they need you. Am I preaching to anybody right now? Yes, they will. Men need to hold on to hope. And I've got a word for the men of this house. Hold on to hope. Don't let it go. Don't you let go of hope for your family, for your kids, for your marriage. Don't you quit because as soon as you quit, you go adrift. You need those three things. You need a battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a damsel to rescue. Where were the men? And the ladies were the first there. And I'm done. But I want to say this to make it clear. There were other people who should have been there too. Where was the blind man Jesus healed? Where was Jairus that I mentioned a while ago? Where was the demon possessed man that he set free? The lame man. Where were the ten lepers? Where was Lazarus? Where were the, the apostles? And I want to make this declaration today. He is more than worthy enough for us to be here this morning. He's more than worthy enough to be worshipped. Worthy is the Lamb. Could we fill this building with that, that refrain? Worthy. Come on. Worthy. Worthy. Say it. Worthy is the Lamb of God. Worthy is the Lamb of God. He is worthy. Amen. He's more than worthy enough to be worshipped. Peter wasn't there when he should have been because he had lost hope. But when he heard that Jesus was alive, he didn't walk, he ran to get there. That's what you need to do. Stop hanging back and run to find him. Get into the kingdom again. Come back to church. Stop looking for life in dead places. You're not going to find it. I don't care what they got going on in the club. You're not going to feel the emptiness on the inside. I don't care what they got going on in a bottle. It's not going to feel the emptiness. Hello. 
I don't care what's happening out there. Stop looking for life in dead places. Because he rose, things will never be the same ever again for us. Not now and not after we leave this world either. Because Jesus rose, we're free from our sins. I wonder if you could just lift a hand and say, thank you for setting me free. But our freedom is not just freedom from sin. It is freedom from what follows after we die. Sister Wilma Stanley, most of you don't even know who she is, went home to be with the Lord this week. She was one of the the last surviving original members of this church. This church started 69 years ago with five people in the living room of a widow named Granny Bernice Bean. That's how long it's been. 69 years. Sister Stanley would bake pies and her husband, Brother Floyd Stanley, sold them from door to door to help this church get off the ground. This church is here because of their sacrifice. She went home this week to be with the Lord. I thank God for her. I thank God for every person that has sown into this church. I thank God for every sacrifice. I thank God for every gift. I thank God for every prayer. I thank God for every hour that you volunteered to the kingdom of God. You know what? You know what? She was in her 90s and her mind had become feeble, but she's not feeble anymore. Coach Lou Little was a famous football coach at Columbia University in New York from 1930 to 1956. True story. He led Columbia to a victory in the 1934 Rose Bowl over Stanford University. Little also coached at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. from 1924 to 1929. He was very well known. And there he coached a defensive tackle that he thought had potential. He was persistent. This young man worked hard, had a great attitude. In fact, he never missed a practice and never missed a game in his four seasons on the team throughout university. Little worked with him every day because he thought the young man had potential, but the young man just did not get any better. He stayed on the bench throughout the first season and the second season and the third season and the fourth season, and he never played one game. Three or four days before the final game of the season, the last year this young man was in university, Coach Little received word from this young man's family that the young boy's father had died. And Little had seen the boy walk in with his dad. And they didn't just walk, they walked arm in arm. They didn't just walk side by side. They would link arms and walk around the campus on the few occasions that Little had noticed the man's father there with the boy. And they asked Coach Little to go inform this young man of his dad's death. So he did, and he said, son... I'm sorry, but your dad passed away. Go home and take care of your family, and we'll try to win this game for you. Young man went home. They had the funeral. That Saturday, Little walked into his team's locker room and was surprised to see the boy standing there. And he said, I thought I I told you to go home. I thought you were going home to bury your dad. Your family needs you. And the young man said, Coach, I did go home. And I helped him. We we buried daddy. But he said, I needed to come back here for this. And he said, I came back because it's the last game. And I'm begging you, you've got to start me in this game, coach. You've got to start me. And 
Coach Little said, son, you've never been a starter. This is the championship game, and we cannot take that kind of risk today. And the young man pleaded and begged and said, Coach, you've got to let me start. You've got to let me, please. I know I lost my dad, but I came back, and I've got to be in this last game. It's the last game of the season. And Coach Little hesitated, and then out of sympathy and compassion for the young man, and because of that young man's, young man's four-year commitment of sacrifice, he said, Okay, son. You'll start, but you'll only be in there for one or two plays at the most. He said, I don't mean to say this to hurt you, but you're not good enough, and you know you're not. And the young man said, I know. And true to his word, little started the boy, but he never took him out. For 60 full, bone-jarring minutes, he played inspired football, running, blocking, passing like an all-American and sparked the team to victory. And back in the clubhouse, Little threw his arm around the boy's shoulders and said, Son, you were terrific today. You stayed in there because you belonged in there. You never played that kind of football before. What got into you? And the boy answered and said, Coach, do you remember how my father and I used to go around arm in arm? He said, You may not know it, but my dad was totally blind. And he went to heaven this week, and he's not blind anymore. And this afternoon was the first time he ever saw me play. Our victory goes beyond the grave. Stand to your feet with me and give God some praise because this is Resurrection Sunday. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want our prayer counselors to come. And then as our custom is, we're going to ask everybody who will to come and join us in the altar. And we'll close the service here. And we're going to pray for one another. I always like to end the service by speaking a Father's blessing over this congregation. Because there's so many people that need a blessing. So many people that have been wounded and hurt going through difficult places come come and join me if you would everybody that, that can I know there's not room for everybody to get down here and some of you will want to pray between your seats and that's okay but as many of you as can i like for you to come forward because I, I want to pray with you he has risen stop looking for life in dead places stop you're looking for the right thing. You're just looking in the wrong place. Just looking in the wrong place. Don't waste any more of your life. I just felt to say that earlier in the message, and I didn't say it in the first service, but I just felt to say there's some who are here today that are even questioning what their life has mattered because you're old enough now you begin to ask yourself questions like this. I want to tell you, you can make your life count. You can leave a mark. You can do something with your life that really matters. I know what it's like. First years of my life, I lived my life like this. If you stuck your finger in a bucket of water and pulled it out, it wouldn't even leave a hole, right? That was me. If I died then... I would have come and gone without anybody ever noticing that I had been through this world. 
but God has a plan for you, sir. I'm talking to a man in this house. I feel it right now. God has a plan for you. It's not too late. Stop looking for life in things that are dead. All of your head is bowed right now. Every eye closed. Could I see the hands of those that you would slip up your hand and say, pray for me, Pastor. I need to give my heart to God. Lift it up high. Lift it up high. Hands all over this building. Our prayer counselors, I I want you to please help with that. God bless you, sir. God bless you. I'm going to lead you in prayer in just a moment. After this service is over, I'll be going out that door right at the far end of the auditorium. And if you would go that way, I'd love to meet you. We have a, a board room, a meeting room right over there, and I'd love to meet you after this service or in the hall. I think the room's going to probably fill up. But I, I want you to come be a part of what God is doing. Let God be a part of your life. Let me pray for you right now. Father, I pray for these precious people in this house today. I pray for these who want to make their life count. I pray for people that need you in their hearts. There were so dozens of hands raised just then, Lord. Save them and come into their hearts in Jesus' name and be their Lord and Savior. As they welcome you in, turn their life around. Fill them full of joy and let them be saved today because your scripture says, your word says, that if they will open their heart, you will come in. Behold, you stand at the door and you knock. And if any man, oh, thank you, Lord. Any man, there's nobody here so far from God that they can't say yes, that you will not hear their prayer. If any man will open the door, you will come in. And you'll dine with him and he will dine with you. Save and forgive of sins. I'm asking you to let the blood that Jesus shed on the cross work in this house this morning. Let its work begin in lives right now. And we give you praise and we give you glory and everybody shout to the Lord and say, thank you, Lord. Come on, shout to the Lord and say, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. If you need to renew your commitment to God, I want you to do that too. God wants to baptize you so full of the Holy Spirit that your life will be forever transformed. You are his vessel made for his pleasure and his purposes. And when you give your heart to him, You will find a degree of fulfillment and satisfaction you will never find anywhere else. Sir, I saw your hand. God bless you. I moved in my heart. Welcome to the family of God. Amen. I'm so glad you're here. Just turn to somebody near you and say, I'm so glad you came. Would you do that? Hallelujah. And now I want to ask you, how many need a breakthrough in this house? Could I see your hands? Anybody need a breakthrough? Do you know what I'm talking about? Breakthrough in family, breakthrough in finances, breakthrough in your health. Come on, just raise it. There's a breakthrough anointing. You know how I know there's a breakthrough anointing? Because if Jesus can come out of a sealed grave. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. 
If he can conquer death, he can fix your problem. He can solve your problem. The drama that you saw a while ago that was put on by the drama team and the young people, he came out of that tomb. And he'll cover your circumstance with his blood. Let me pray for you, Father. In the name of Jesus, I pray for everyone that needs a breakthrough in this house. There's there's deliverance in this room now. There are doors opening all over this building that have been closed up until this moment. There are doors that you're closing that people have struggled to close in their lives. They're shutting right now because of your grace. Things are shifting in somebody's life. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. It's not because we pray. It's not because of who we are. It's because of who you are. And because of the blood that you shed on the cross, dear Jesus, touch everyone in this building. Let breakthroughs come. Let this be the greatest week we've ever lived in our entire lives. Let us walk in resurrection power. Let every person in this building walk in the power of a resurrected Jesus. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Everyone that's ever spent any time looking in dead places. Right now, God, close that off. Seal that off. Let them turn to where life can actually be found in the name of Jesus. Give Him praise across the building. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.